church? Glad to see you here uh, this morning. Uh, last week, we started a quick two-week study on the book of Jude. And, um, and in case you missed it, Jude was actually one of Jesus's four he was one of four of Jesus' half-brothers, and so same mom, different dads. And so uh, Jude, at this point when he writes this letter, he, this is decades after Jesus' resurrection. And uh, Jude is a leader within this new thing called the church. And so Jude, most scholars believe that Jude, he kind of traveled around from city to city to city to church to church to church, uh, building the church, helping um, teach at the church, and, and helping these churches grow and, uh, and get established. And Jude probably was also writing a bunch of letters to the churches that he had been to, similar to maybe something like Peter and Paul or John um, had also done. And so we know that uh, Jude had this like this big idea of this big old letter he was going to write to this specific church um, about, uh, about, he says, about salvation and what that means and what Jesus did on the cross and, you know, which had, again, had happened decades before and how that applied to them and, you know, all the kind of the theological stuff. He wanted to write this big old thing for them so that they could totally understand and uh, kind of as an encouragement. But at some point, apparently, Jude hears a report that this church, or maybe it was, could have easily have been maybe even a group of churches within a certain area, that there was an issue. And that was these people were allowing uh, others, or what the Bible would describe as false teachers, come into the church and teach things that were contrary to what we find in the Bible. And Jude is concerned, as you can imagine. And really, specifically, what these people are teaching is that you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, specifically around sex. Do whatever you want with whoever you want. It doesn't really matter. God's going to forgive you anyway. All right, God paid for, Jesus paid for all of your sin that you're going to do, all of your sin that you did. He paid for it all on the cross. So it really doesn't really matter how you live your life. And when Jude hears this, this really bothers him because what they're doing is they are, they are, um, changing truth, and, uh, and so Jude sits down one day. Instead of writing his big old long letter that he had planned to write, he simply jots down a quick short letter, and he throws it in the mail ASAP, and he gets it out there as fast as he possibly can. That is the book of Jude. All right, now last week we talked about the first uh, half of, the, of this letter, the first half of this book, and um, Jude, what he does is he, he gives really three um, Three things, or he gives he gives three big warnings for us, or sorry, he gives a big warning for us, and he gives us he does this with three examples from the Old Testament. So the first example that that he gives us, these examples are from people who um, who had decided at some point in their life to leave truth, and he talks about them and he uses them and he says what happens to them, right? Remember, they were fairly judged by God. Not something that any of us want to even talk about or think about. We, don't, we like judging or we like the idea of, of justice, right? Just does not when it applies to us. And so these people are judged by God. And then he takes it even further and he gives us three more examples from the Old Testament of people who led others to reject truth. So these people, not only did they reject truth for themselves, but they also led others to reject truth. And they were also fairly judged by God. And so what his whole point of last week in the first part of the letter is he's warning, he's saying, hey, man, these people, they blend right in, right? They sound good. The things that they say, it sounds so right, but he says they are dangerous, and they're everywhere, especially here today. 
Right? I mean, you look at churches all around us, the whole culture of churches within our, within our society. I mean, there's churches all around us, within our community. Actually, I would say most churches within our community have left some form of truth. They have, they have distorted God's truth. And what we do today, this is how we do it, um, is we uh, pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like, and then we reject the parts of the Bible that we don't like. And what we end up doing is we form our own truth, distorting, distorting God's truth. And so that's what we see within churches within America today. And so he tells us what we are supposed to do. We are to contend for truth. Right, Jude's out there last week, how, how he begins his letter, he's like telling us straight up right at the beginning, he's like, man, I want you guys to go out and compete. All right, get out there. Push back against when people distort God's truth. And so today, um, we're going to wrap this letter up, and today I don't have like five, you know, steps to making your life to becoming a better Christian, or hey, this is what we got to do, or this is what we need to go home and do when we get, you know, after church, or anything like that. I don't have any application for you at the end. What I want us to do today is I want us, as a church family, right, because that's what we are, I want us to go and I want us to read this letter together, analyze it together, study it together, and just like the church that Jude had written this letter to did 2,000 years ago on a similar Sunday morning just like today. All right, does that make sense? And you, as we go through today, I want you to be thinking throughout the whole message, not at the end, just at the, the whole thing as you're reading this, I want you to be thinking how this specifically applies to your situation um, and to you this week. All right, so we got that? Okay, all right. That's actually, that was, a, that was a week. It was a week, yes, but it's actually better than like the other services, so I'll give you that. All right, at least you guys are giving me something. Okay, you guys are small but mighty, so here we go. I like the third service. Um, so here we are, starting right where we left off in Jude, verse 14. He says it was about these. Remember, he just spent the first half of the book talking about who's these. These false prophets, not prophets, these false teachers. Okay, these people who are teaching things that are lies. And so he's saying um, it was about these people, these types of people that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about. Now, who the heck is Enoch? All right, Enoch is one of these guys, that, you know, it's one of these characters in the Bible that, that doesn't show up that much. Um, he only shows up in a few places. Uh, Enoch, as you could tell, he was the seventh generation from Adam. So Enoch is all the way back in the book of Genesis at the beginning, um, really, of, of mankind. And so Enoch, this is like before the flood. All right, so Enoch was this guy that we know from the Bible. We don't know much about him, but he had such a tight, real, legit relationship with God. He had the type of relationship with God that God wants to have with you and me. And we see this all the way back in, in Genesis. It says, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there because God took him. Ain't that sweet? Right? Like, here's this dude who is so tight with God that God's just like, man, I don't really want to wait until you die. Why don't you just come on up right now? And he like calls him up to the big leagues like right then. Um, and so Enoch had such a close relationship with God that God just like takes him. All right, we see the author of Hebrews, he talks about Enoch as well. Um, it, this author in the New Testament, he points back at Enoch as an example. And he says, by faith, Enoch was taken away. And so he did not get to experience death which is awesome. It says he was not to be found. And they like look for him. They're like, man, where's Enoch? Yeah, I don't know. I just saw him like last week, but he's not there anymore. I don't know what's going on. But the people knew he was not found because God just took him. 
And so here's this guy. So the author of Hebrews is using Enoch as an example. And here Jude is also using Enoch as an example. And he's specifically using something that Enoch said. He says, back to Jude, he says, this is what Enoch said as he, as he told us what was going to happen in the future. He says, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. Talking about an event that hasn't happened yet when Jesus comes back and he comes back with his angels. He says, he comes back to execute judgment on all. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, all right, you should take a pen and you should just circle that word all. Okay, can you do that? All right, don't be afraid to write in your Bible. It's okay. All right, I give you permission. All right, just circle this word, this word all. Um, in the ancient Greek language, all right, the word all here, it means everybody. Okay? It means all. All means all. We're good with that? All right, it means everybody. That means every single person in this room, God is going to come and execute judgment on us. Does that freak you out a little bit? Meaning that every single person in this room, we are going to have to give an account for the way that we lived our life. Um, you realize that? You realize that you will stand before God and he will judge the way that you live? Right? Like that should be kind of a humbling thing. All right, the Bible describes us kind of in two different categories. The Bible says that God recognizes only two different types of people out there. Number one, you got the people who have rejected God, all right? These people do not have a relationship with God, not a real relationship with God. Now, these people can believe that they have a real relationship with God, but actually, they're just fooling themselves, all right? These people um, will be judged by their thoughts and actions, and these people, the Bible tells us, will be found guilty, and there's a bunch of good people in this category. And there's a bunch of nice people. And there's a bunch of people who did a bunch of, let's say, good stuff, at least within our eyes. But if they reject God in their heart, they keep putting that decision off and off and off. And they don't surrender their life to Jesus. All right, he's saying, all right, these people, they will be found guilty. Um, the, the Bible also describes another group of people. These are, these are people who have given their lives over to Jesus. Hopefully the majority of us in this room fall under this category. Um, we, as Christians, those of us who have at some point in our life made the decision to give our life to Jesus, we will not be judged on whether we're going to get into heaven or hell because that debt's been paid for. All right, Jesus paid for that debt when he was beaten, whipped, nailed, bled, and eventually suffocated as he was hanging on a piece of wood, all right? He paid our debt. He paid the price that we owed God. But we, even as Christians, will still have to answer for the way that we lived our life too. That's in our future. Like, think about that. That's coming for you. Like, it's, it's coming up. So we should watch the way we live. Enoch talked about it even way back at the beginning. And here's Jude. He's just confirming it. Enoch says... That, um, that he's going to come and he's going to convict all the ungodly concerning uh, all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And concerning the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against God. And so here he's saying, you know, here's these people. Remember who he's talking about. He's talking about these are false teachers. These are people that have come in and they, they number one, believe the lies that the world throws out there. And then they're teaching the lies that the world throws out there. These people specifically are actually claiming to speak for God. Now, most of us in here, 
All right, we don't go around going, hey, uh, God told me to tell you this, right? Like most of us don't do that, although there are um, some once in a while here at church. You know, I'll be on a Sunday morning. Actually, this just happened a couple weeks ago where a guy that I did not know, all right, he came and he was just like, hey, Pastor Zach, I just want to let you know, God told me to tell you, and he had all this stuff that God told him to tell me. And I'm like, and every time I hear that, I'm always like, how do I know, right? Like, I don't know if you're just making this up. You know, I don't know. Like, there's those type of issues. Why didn't God just come tell me? Like, I feel like, you know, I don't have the perfect relationship with God by any means. And it could always get better, and it should be better, and I want it to get better. But I'm like, why didn't God just come to me? Why did he go to a, through a middleman? Like, you know, I just ask those kind of logical questions. And, uh, but he, all his stuff was, like, really good about this church. And he was going to grow and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I hope it does happen. But, you know, I have no faith that it, God actually told him that. And so most of us, we don't go around saying, hey, God told me to tell you, but we do it in a very different way. We still do this, but in a diff different way. Many of us, especially within our little Christian circles, what we say is we say phrases like, hey, this is what the Bible says, or hey, God wants this, or God says this, or I feel like God wants us to fill in the blank. And I think we do this more than we realize. I mean, think about it. I'm up here doing this like right now. Right? I do this for a living. And I want to say this. It's totally fine to do as long as what you're saying is actually what God says. Does that make sense? Totally fine to do that as long as what you're saying is in reality what God says. And if you're wrong, you're actually doing the exact thing that Jude is calling so dangerous. See, Jude's saying you got to be extremely careful when speaking for God. Like, don't take that lightly. Don't just throw things out there. See, there's many people out there all around us who may even believe what they say, but just because they believe that they're right or believe, you know, in what they say, that doesn't make it true. There's a bunch of people out there who are liars. Not that they mean to lie, but they're spreading things that aren't true, and it's almost like the enemy is using them as a mouthpiece. That's why we should always be fact-checking what anybody says. When people are saying, I think God wants us to do this, or I think the right thing is to do this, we should be fact-checking that with God's words. We should be checking with God. Hey, okay, you think God wants me to do this? All right, that sounds good. Let me go see what God says about that. Let me see if you're right. We should be fact-checking it. All right, it doesn't matter who it is. All right, it doesn't matter if it's your awesome, cool, funny, fun pastor, okay? You should fact-check him, you know? All right, it doesn't matter if it's that guy on YouTube or that church, maybe it's your church-going friend or maybe it's that Mormon who comes up, you know, that kid, that Mormon kid who comes up to the door and he's got his name tag on and you try to hide and act like nobody's home when he's, you know, trying to talk to you. You know what I'm talking about? We've all been there before. All right, you should be fact-checking what these people, including myself, say about God and you fact-check it with God's words. In fact, we know from the New Testament, one time, uh, Paul, he wins, goes and visits this, this city called Berea. And um, when Paul's there, he's telling them about Jesus, and there's a bunch of Jewish people there. And so they have the Old Testament down, and they've been waiting for the Savior, this Messiah that the Old Testament says is going gonna, is gonna, to, God's going to send. And uh, they had never heard of Jesus yet. So Paul is explaining all this stuff to him, and that is Jesus. Hey, the person you've been waiting for, it's actually Jesus. He came. He died. And he paid for everything that we've ever done wrong. And all, just all this stuff. And you know what the Bereans are doing? They get out their Old Testament Bibles, all right? And they're going, hey, hold up, Paul. Let me check on that. Let me see. Does it actually? Oh, man, it's there. All right. 
okay, Paul, I'm listening. And then Paul's like, yeah, and remember when the Old Testament says this, that the, that the Savior's going to come in this way? And they're like, hold up, Paul. All right, let me check. Uh, oh, man, okay, he's right, guys, he's right. We can listen to him. They fact check Paul on everything. Everything that Paul says, they compare with the Bible. You know what Paul does? He's not like annoyed about it, being like, dude, this is getting old. All right, can you just, just trust me on this? No, no, Paul commends them for it. He's like, hey, this is what all Christians should be doing. All Christians should be able to, to, to compare what they hear about God and compare it to what God actually says about himself. We should be doing that today. That's why we got the Bible up on the screen so we can, we can see where the things that I'm trying to say, we can see where this is all coming from. And so Jude says in the next verse, he says, these people, all right, these people who are spreading lies, which is so easy to do. He says, these people are discontented grumblers. They're living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words. They're flattering people for their own advantage. Hey, look at that, look at that, that list real quick. Does that sound familiar? Just throwing that out there. Like, let's think about it. Have you ever gone to work on a Monday morning and been a discontented grumbler? That ever happened? All right? All right. Have you ever, have you ever done anything or, or maybe did anything that was really only about you and nobody else? Just your desires? Have you ever said anything arrogant or prideful? You know, have you ever flattered somebody or said something nice to people? Not that you think that actually looked nice or they did that really well. You're just doing it because you want them to like you because it's really all about you. It's all about your advantage. Has that ever happened? You see how easy it is to fall into this? This is, by the way, when we do this, we got we to gotta remember this is, how, this is how Jude describes. He's saying these are the characteristics of a false teacher. It's a pretty big deal. He says, that's not how a Christian acts. He says, this is how we act. He says, you, dear friends, what I want you to do is I want you to remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to think about what John wrote. I want you to think about what Paul wrote and what Peter wrote and what James wrote. He says, they told you that in the end times there will be scoffers. Now I had to look this word up and I'm like, I don't even know what a scoffer is. Are you a scoffer? I don't know. Am I a scoffer? I don't, I don't know. We don't use that word anymore. Um, this literally just means mocking. Okay, these are mockers. Mockers might be a better word if that even is a word. I don't know. Um, I guess it is. He says, in the end times there will be mockers, people who mock you for your faith. All right, they put you down because of what you believe. He says, they will, they're scoffers or they're mockers living according to their own ungodly desires. They just do whatever feels good for them. They just do whatever makes them happy. He says, these people, were create, these people create divisions in our worldly. Now, would you agree with me that the society and our culture that we live in is extremely divided? Right? Like the world is constantly trying to push us to divide us. Like the world's constantly pushing this and throwing this in our face that we are to be divided. I mean, the world's constantly shoving this in our face. I mean, think about it. We're to be divided on status, like what you drive, what you wear, where you live, we're supposed to be divided on wealth, all right? You can't trust the rich people, they're out to get you. And then the poor people, they just want your money, you know? And you got the middle class, I don't even know what's, you know, their issue. You got them, you got, we're supposed to be divided politically, all right? Republican and Democrats, we can't even be friends. We can't even agree on just little things anymore. 
right? The world's constantly telling us that we are to be divided. We're to be divided by race, right? White people don't trust black people. Black people hate the white people. Just all this stuff that it's just like, you know, the world's trying to divide us. By the way, that's our enemy's, one of his best tactics against us. The enemy wants us to be divided. The enemy's coming for us. It's one of, his, it's the way, one of the ways that he does this. And he's saying these people, what they're actually doing is they're creating divisions. And maybe they're not doing that on purpose, but the enemy sure is using it. He's saying these people are worldly, not even having the spirit. See, that's their problem. These people, don't, they don't have God. They don't have the spirit living within them. Right? The Spirit's not some invisible force that we can somehow, you know, learn to control, right? It's not Star Wars, okay? The Bible says the Spirit is a person. Jesus described the Spirit as a helper, somebody who moves into us. When we begin that relationship with God, when we start that, in that moment, and we make that decision, there's a lot that happens in that moment. One of the main things is that God actually moves into our life. The Spirit moves into our life. And here's the deal. These people, Judah's saying, these people don't know him. But they act like they do. They talk a big game, and they say things that sound so good. But they really don't know God. And so at this point in this letter... Judas spent maybe 80% of it, or probably 80% through, um, describing these people that are, that are dangerous, describing these people that we as Christians need to look out for. And just to kind of put it together between last week and this week, he, he describes them in this way. He says, these people are, are a dead, irrational, dangerous, ungodly, discontent, arrogant, slandering, mocking, grumbling, worldly, truth-twisting truth -twisting animals who only looks out for their, themselves, rejecting authority, creating divisions while putting down anything that they don't understand because God is not in them. Does that make sense? Hard to come up. All right. You think Jude had any friends? You know, he's just, he's just throwing all this down. All right. Can you feel the concern in his voice? Can you feel like the urgency that he's trying to write this? I mean, here he spent 80% of his letter trying to get us to understand. And, and he's given us example after example after example of what these people look like. Because it is so hard sometimes to decipher the difference. And I think at this point in his letter, as he's writing it, I think Jude takes a breath. You know, like, okay, I think they got it. And then he writes, but you. See, there's a difference here. He's saying, but you. Who's you? You're you, okay? If you're giving your life to Jesus, all right, you're, you're you. He's saying, you, all right, the true church. He's saying, dear Friends, he's saying, guys, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me just stop right there for a second. Notice what he assumes that we're doing. Like he automatically assumes that if we're a Christian, we're growing in our relationship with him. Right? He automatically assumes if we're a Christian that we're praying to him all the time. It's like he automatically assumes that we are building, that we are growing in our relationship, that we are pouring in the time, the effort, the energy that it takes to grow a relationship, that we are studying God's word day in and day out because we just can't get enough because we're so in love with Jesus. We want to know him better and more and more and more. He assumes all that. He also assumes that we talk to him and that we pray to him like day in and day out, like as we go through our day, that we are in constant communication with our creator. He assumes that. 
And he's saying, of course, while you're growing, because of course you're growing, and while you're building, of course you're building, it's while you're praying, because of course, you know, I'm assuming you guys are all praying, he's saying, I want you to do this. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, what's that mean? Keep yourselves in the love of God? Does that mean we can fall out of the love of God? Mm-mm. Does that mean we can, we can lose our salvation somehow? The answer to that is no way. Now, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he paid for all of it. It's not like a point where, where we do something so wrong, the guy's like, oh, man, I don't want to deal with that anymore. All right, sorry. Hey, I didn't know you were going to do that. See ya. Like, that's, that, that situation does not happen. See, this all has to do with how we live our life. Because God loves us, he tells us the best way to do life. He gives us the right way to do life. It's right here in God's words. That's why we got to read it. And Jude, he's simply just saying here, he's saying, hey, you need to follow it. He's saying you need to keep yourselves in God's love. By the way, God's love is not something that we earn. It's something that he voluntarily puts on us. It's the love that we find in his words. See, his words is not just a bunch of do's and don'ts of all this stuff that we got to do to somehow impress God. You know, it's not supposed to be restricting like, oh, man, if I'm going to follow God's word, I can't have any fun. You know, like that type of thing. It's not like that. All right. No, no. God's words are freeing. The Bible describes us as we are slaves to sin. We are controlled all right, by our sin nature that we all have within us. And what God does is he's using his words to set us free, to cut the chains and let us go free. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, keep yourselves in the love of God. Follow his words. He's saying, be free, people. And then he says, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. He's saying, hey, while we're doing that, we need to be waiting for what's to come. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, waiting is not my favorite thing in the world, okay? Not a fan of waiting, not a big, you know, just, I don't think anybody, like naturally, there's nobody that's like, I am so good at just waiting, you know? Like, I've never heard that before, okay? We all, um, none of us like to wait. Like, we don't like to wait when we have our phones and it's like taking too long to load. You know, you're just like, man, this is taking forever, or Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, we hate waiting in the line, at the drive-thru. Um, over the last 230 days, when the worst stretch of the year is I'm waiting for football to come back, okay, which was finally broken on Friday night when I went to the first, first uh, high school football game, Tiffin versus my Ross, my Fremont Ross, Little Giants, and Tiffin whooped them, all right? I was... Texting Judd, or Coach Lutz, who, who comes here during the game, um, he was in second service, and I'm like, I'm texting, I always text him during the game, knowing that he's obviously not going to get the text, but I'm just like, man, you're supposed to be a Christian, show mercy, like, he's like, no, another touchdown, I'm like, dude, come on, man, you know, that type of thing, but we hate waiting, luckily I don't have to wait anymore, football is back, all right, you know what the worst day of waiting of the year is? Thanksgiving, you know what I'm talking about? You wake up in the morning, you smell the, you know, eh, I don't do any of the cooking, so maybe the people who do the cooking, it's like the worst day of the year I don't, for something else. I don't know. But, like, I wake up, and I can smell the turkey, and I'm just like, mm, that smells so good. But you got to wait till lunch, hours. It's terrible, and usually it's like a late lunch because there's all kinds of things going on with that. And so that's, that's the worst. Have you noticed something that we only wait for good things? Like, none of us, are, like, have trouble waiting for, like, the annoying things of life. Uh, this past week, I... Um, we got like a bill from a collections agency in, in, our, in the mail. And so I'm like, open this. I'm like, what is this? Do I owe somebody something that I don't know about? Sure enough, I did. And so I realized is that I, we owed like a doctor, uh, like a doctor's payment or something. That, um, 
and so I'm like, I got to get this figured out. You know, it's going to hurt my credit or whatever. I don't know what this is. I've never dealt with the collections before. And, um, and so I'm like calling the doctor. I'm calling the insurance. I'm trying to figure this all out. The accountant's only working like two hours every day, different times a day. It's just like super annoying, you know. And, um, and I found out that they didn't even, they never sent me the bill. They just sent it to collections. I was like, hey. You'd be nice, you know, next time you should just send me the bill. And they're like, oh, yeah, we messed up on that. And just, you know, so I'm like, take off my fees and all this stuff. I'm trying to figure it all done. Like, there's nobody, I've never heard anybody say, you know what I can't wait to do? I can't wait to call the insurance company. I just love talking to them. Like, nobody says that. Man, I just love their music as I hold and hold and hold. Like, nobody says that. We only wait for th- we only have trouble waiting for the good things. Like, nobody's like, I can't wait till I break my arm again. That'll be so fun. I can't wait till I pay taxes. Like, there's just things that nobody says. We only have trouble waiting for the good things. And Judah's saying, he's like, guys, he's wrapping up. He's saying, guys, you have the best thing ever coming up. He's like, do you realize that? You have the best thing ever coming up in your life. Jesus is coming back. And then after that, there's this new kingdom coming. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a place of no sadness, no pain, no guilt, no shame. Our bodies ain't going to break down. That'll be nice. All right, we're going to be perfect. And what he tells us, he's saying, hey, you need to wait expectantly for that. Something that's worth waiting for. He's saying, you got to, that's coming. He's saying he's coming back soon. And think about it. He's, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. How much closer are we to that day today? But as we wait, we're not supposed to just be standing around, twiddling our thumbs, going, oh, I'm just waiting, you know, like that type of thing. No way. Right? God has given us work to do. We are to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus because the time is short. There's urgency to it. And so Jude tells us that next. He says, while we wait, we need to have mercy on those who waver. Now, let me explain what he's about to do. In this next verse, all right, he is going to break down the people that we as Christians are to help. He breaks them down into three different categories, okay? So three different types of people. And the first one, he says, you need to have mercy on those who waver. All right, these people, uh, those who waver, these are people who are Christians but have been influenced by the teaching of these false teachers and by the lies of the world that's constantly surrounding us that they are wavering on their faith, meaning their faith is is, you know, quite frankly, it's just, it's just weak. They started buying into the worldly thinking. They started buying into the, to the lies. Right? Some of you guys have totally been here before, you know? We're just like, there's just been seasons of your life where you're like, man, I don't, like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, it's just things just like, I just feel so far from God. Like, things just aren't going right. Like, something's just not, just not sitting well with me. And I'm, I haven't read my Bible. And I haven't been to church for a while. And it's just like, you know, there's just something. I don't really feel like going, but, but something's, I feel like something's wrong. And it's just like, like, you felt that before. Some of you guys, maybe you feel like that today. The rest of us, as Christians, we are to help them. Right? We are to do something about it. We are to help. We are to gently correct our brothers and sisters because we are a family here who are wavering and we are to help them find truth. Meaning we are to gently call each other out. Not a jerk about it. But we are to, we are to help each other in that way. And so that's one group of people. He says there's another group. He says others. 
He says, these others I want you to save by snatching them from the fire. See, it's this idea that there's other people. Uh, these are people in our lives who have not given their life over uh, to Jesus at some point in, in their life. And so what Jesus is saying, or not Jesus, Jude, uh, Jesus, sure, that works. What he's saying is, he's like, listen up. This is what I want you guys to do. I want you to save them. Think about it. This is God talking to you this morning. He said, I want you to save them. It's like this idea of like, what do you think you're doing when I, you know, I have you in that workplace for a reason. Like, why do you think I have you there? All right, because there's people around you that are on the path to hell, and he's saying, I want you to save them. He's saying, he's saying all those people around you, the people in your neighborhoods, the people, some of you, it's like, it's like the people in your own homes that you live with that do not know Jesus. He's saying, I want you to save them. He's like, what are you doing? Snatch them from hell. He's saying, snatch them from the fire. Do whatever you possibly can to save as many people as you possibly can. Do you feel the urgency here? This is a big deal. He's trying to get us to feel reality. It's part of reality we don't like to think about. He's saying our family, our friends, our coworkers, the lady walking down the sidewalk, that dude who just cut you off in traffic, all right, that guy at the drive-thru, uh, the waitress at the restaurant, all these people are either going to heaven or to hell. There's no middle ground. The Bible, by the way, doesn't say that if they're a good person, they get to go to heaven. All right, so we go throughout life, and I think some of us, we interact with people, and we're like, well, they're just a really good person. I can't, I can't imagine God, you know, throwing them into hell. And so we just think, like, it's all, it's all good. I don't have to do anything. That's not how you get to heaven. All right, that's not, that's not how we start a relationship with Jesus. It has nothing to do with the good stuff that we do. We cannot do enough good to earn our way to heaven. God never looks at us and says, wow, man, you are, I am... I am so impressed. Come on up, okay? That, that doesn't, that doesn't, it's not reality. The Bible says the only way someone makes it to heaven is if they surrender their life to Jesus and they choose to follow him. Something that a lot of people, most people in our lives have not done yet. And we are to make a difference in their life. The Bible says if they don't, the Bible's super clear. This isn't me. Don't get mad at me, Okay? The Bible says they go to hell. Jesus said that multiple times. That should bother you. And if it doesn't bother you, man, you got a problem. <laughs> See, Jude's saying you do whatever you got to do short of sin to win them. You serve. You beg them. You plead with them over and over and over again. You don't stop. You won't stop. That's the attitude of a Christian when it comes to reaching people. And what's interesting is I was thinking about this this week. Jude was actually one of these people once. All right, when, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, uh, and obviously Jude was his brother, uh, Jude did not buy into the whole Jesus thing. He wasn't about it. In fact, what Jude did is he mocked Jesus for thinking that he was God, and he, uh, and he resisted Jesus for thinking that he was God. In fact, one time, we know that Jude, along with, uh, along with a couple of his other brothers and Mary, okay, Mary was not perfect. She had issues. All right, this is one example. Um, they go, and Jesus is teaching in some house. He's, like, doing his thing. And they go not to, like, listen to his teaching or, like, sit under Jesus or, you know, or anything like that or even just say hi to Jesus. No, they go to collect Jesus. 
right, like a problem child. They go, and they're like, hey, guys, uh, excuse me, let me break this up. Hey, Jesus, he's not feeling well right now, and he didn't take his meds today, you know, like that type of thing. And so, and so Jesus, you come here, time to take a nap. Come on, let's go. Like, that's what they go to do. Like, Mary even does this, along with Jude. See, Jude thought Jesus was crazy. See, in reality, Jude didn't realize at the time that he was actually on the path to hell because he was rejecting God as his Savior. And you know what changed him? It was the resurrection. That's what did it. Jude probably watched his brother die on that cross and then later that weekend was talking to him. That'll change your mind quick. And that's what was going on here. That's what changed Jude. Jesus snatched Jude from the fire just like we should do for our family and our friends and the people that we care about. Jude gives us a third group, All right? He says, others, he says, I want you to have mercy on, but with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. This is like the idea that these people are so close to hell in the sense that they are, their clothes already smell like smoke, all right? These people have already made up their minds on Jesus. They refuse to follow Jesus. They're living the way that they want. Um, These people are chasing temporary comfort, which we all fall into the trap of chasing, and temporary happiness. And in the end, they're going to get exactly what they've wanted their entire life. They're going to get eternity without God. And so Jude, notice he doesn't say to hate them. He doesn't say to look down on them. He doesn't say, man, these people are just such idiots. Like God created them and now they're rejected. Like he doesn't say any of that. What his idea is like, his, is like this whole situation is so sad. And so have mercy on those people. But with fear. All right, this, um, a few years, what was that, a couple years ago I went elk hunting. I know a lot of you guys know about that. We've talked about that before. And uh, in Idaho, and when I was there one night, I remember I was sitting on like a ridge, and there was this valley in between. There's a little creek running through there. And um, I'm just w- waiting, for, waiting for a monster elk to pop out. You know, I'm, I didn't have a gun. I had, it was like that. Okay. So I'm like, I'm like ready for this thing. And... Um, and it never came. But you know what did come was a moose, okay, which if I shot, I would have been in big trouble because those are like, you know, anyway. So this old, big old moose comes out. And these things are a lot bigger than I ever realized. Like this is bigger than a horse, like giant animal. Moose are like aggressive, all right? They're mean. Like they want to, like they want to stomp you out. Like that's their, that's their whole goal in life. And this moose had a mom, was a mom because it had a little baby moose next to it. And I'm like, okay, all right, I got to watch out for the moose out here. And, um, and so I'm like watching it and I'm waiting for the elk. And anyway, um, it finally got like dark. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, I, now I got to go back to camp. And uh, I got to go towards the moose to get out of here. And so the way I'm doing it, I'm looking at this animal that is dangerous. Like people die by moose. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, I got to be cautious. I, I need to have, like, a healthy amount of fear of this thing. Although I was kind of like, if it does come after me, that would be a sweet story they could talk about on a Sunday morning. I use it as an illustration. Just throwing that out there, God. I'll just climb a tree and wait it out or something, you know. Um, throw an arrow at it. I don't know. But, um, but, you know, I'm thinking as I'm walking towards it, because I had to go that way to get out, I'm walking very cautiously, right? Like, I'm, I'm watching it. And actually, it got so dark when I was walking out. I could see it from a far away, and then I'm walking towards it, that I couldn't see it that well anymore. All I could see was the two sets of eyes. And then when they would look away, the eyes would go away. And I'm like, oh, no, where's the thing? You know, like that type of thing. Um, And I'm like listening for it. I'm listening for the do, 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 because that's how they sound when they come run you down. And 
and I'm listening for this, and I'm like, I'm just very aware of the situation, right? I'm being cautious with this thing. That's what he's saying we need to have with these people. These people are false. They've bought into lies. They're teaching lies. They may not even know it, but he's saying we need to have mercy on these people that have already made up their minds on Jesus, but we also need to be cautious. We need to have a healthy amount of fear for these people. That we don't buy into their lies and that we don't fall into the enemy's trap. By the way, notice that you cannot tell the difference between these others and these others. The people who are non-Christians that are so close, but we can snatch them and save them from, from the fire. He's saying these people that have already made up their minds, we don't know what's going on inside because we ain't God. Right? God knows we don't know. And so we're to have mercy. We're to help all of them and try to convince all of them. We're not to hate them. We're to hate the sin that they are slaves to. The sin that has trapped them. And then to end it, like the church 2,000 years ago sat on a Sunday morning just like this. They're looking around the room, right? They're like, okay, who's he talking about here? Jude says this in the last two verses. He says, now to him who is able to protect you from the stumbling, he's talking about Jesus here. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. He's, again, he's wrapping up. He's making us, he's thinking, saying, hey, look to the future. All right, think about the future, the future, the future, the future. Get out of your hyper-focused thinking of your little life, all right, and think about big picture here. The Bible's always trying to get us to do that. He's saying, remember the future on judgment day, all right, when we stand before God. And yeah, we'll have to give an account for the life that we live. But when it comes to heaven or hell, all right, he's saying, we are good. Right, because we are, he will look at us and he's saying we are without blemish. Meaning he looks at us and he sees Jesus' righteousness on us. And he's saying that will be a, a, a day of great joy. Like that will be an awesome day and it's to come. And he's saying to the only God our Savior who came down to the dirt to save you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Before all time, now and forever. Amen. That's the book of Jude. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for these words. And some of them are difficult and it's complicated. But God, you have described for us perfectly, really, the need for us to be alert and on the lookout for things throughout our lives that, that just aren't true. All right? People telling us, people giving us advice, uh, people teaching. God, we always need to compare what these people say with your truth because that's what matters. That's the standard. God, please help us to do that. Please help us to know your truth good enough. Some of us, we just got to get in your word. We need to read it. We need to know it. And then we need to follow it. God, we thank you for that. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.